This episode is brought to you by Liberty Hall Video in Lawrence, Kansas. Both Graham and I used to work there, and they are gracious enough to sponsor this podcast. You can rent all of the films we talk about there, and more. What you're about to hear is a pilot episode to Pumpkin Spice Podcast, hosted by myself, Rob Schulte, and Graham Young. So, Graham, what do you want people to know going into this? Obviously, the first episode's kind of a beta episode, but more than that. Sure. I think maybe our main thesis of this podcast is to sort of explore the history of New Line Cinema and how it's the house that Freddy Krueger built. Um, there would be no Lord of the Rings if it wasn't for Freddy. And so we'll go through and discover why that is. We're dropping two episodes at once so you can get a full taste, where we really can sink our teeth into this project. As we go on in the off-season, you'll get a couple of other episodes, but it won't be until next year that you get another season. So make sure that you subscribe, and I hope you enjoy. Anything else, Graham? Yeah, I just wanted to mention that uh, I, Graham Young, am from the Austin Film Society, and look out for my new book, 101 Porno Movies You Must See Before You Die. <laughs> All right. Okay, we're... maybe, maybe we'll, we'll, we will <laughs> cut that, um, but um, I do think that that is a book that needs to be written. I'm just going to say that. All right. Here's episode one. <laughs> To Freddy. I'll call your mother. Everything's all right now. Hey, Graham, I was thinking. You remember when we both worked at the video store? How could I forget? Oh, it was great. And then I came in that one day and I said, um, Halloween is coming up. It's almost October. I want something like cheesy, scary, but also awesome. Can you help me out? And what did you say? I went to a childhood favorite, and that that being uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I get I recommended the first one, and then later you you ended up watching the entire series, which was pretty amazing. Yeah, and I uh, that was like the best week of my life. Yeah, it's a, it's a great series, uh, warts and all, and I, I want to be uh, make sure I say that because it definitely has the series definitely has its warts. Whatever you can't know good without knowing bad, it's uh, it's a great thing. And you know what I want to do? I want to go through each one of these films, and starting today, I want to talk about number one, A Nightmare on Elm Street. So let's go. I, I got a little bit of a rough outline here. I'm hoping that maybe you can. Uh, you can help guide me because you are the expert when it comes to this sort of thing. It was in the 70s and 80s when the slashers first started coming out, right? Yeah, I mean, this the slasher film probably officially came about in 1960 with Alfred Hitchcock's uh, Psycho. Um, but it... it the, the subgenre of, uh, sort of really took off in the late 70s and, and uh, throughout the 1980s. What slashers came before Nightmare, before Freddy? Like, who were the monsters before that? In 1978, you had Halloween, uh, directed by okay. John Carpenter, and that was the famous uh, Michael Myers uh, yes. villain. Yes. And then um, in 1980, uh, the first Friday the 13th movie came out, uh, starring uh, Kevin Bacon. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, check that out. Um, but those were sort of the the, the bigger ones. Um, Wes Craven, who directed Nightmare on Elm Street, had actually done a couple of slasher films himself uh, before Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, in 1977 or 78, he did uh, Last House on the Left, and he followed that with uh, The Hills Have Eyes. And both of those films you could consider to be slasher films. Wes really had his uh, finger on the pulse there. We'll come back to Wes a little bit later. But uh, I just want to get right into Nightmare. So Nightmare is about kids being killed in their dreams, but it's more than that. Yeah, they're being killed in their dreams by sort of a boogeyman named Freddy Krueger. And Freddy Krueger was a child murderer and possibly a possible child molester uh, in Springwood, Illinois. And he was apprehended by the police, but due to some technicality was let go in the courts and the parents of the kids took their revenge and burned Freddy Krueger alive in a basement furnace of the Thompson household, a house on Elm Street. So I guess since the parents didn't get what they wanted, they just took justice into their own hands and killed Freddy? Freddy then takes his supernatural revenge on the children in their dreams. I mean, there's a few different themes, but I think it's safe to say that the main theme of this film is parents passing on their demons to their kids. Yeah, that, that's kind of the, the main theme. And also um, the vigilanteism aspect uh, with the parents sort of taking the law into their own hands and trying to right a wrong, but actually hurting their kids in the process. And that's like the famous old story. It's like when you try and take the law into your own hands, you almost create something worse than had happened before. I think Wes definitely uh, was very aware of that while writing the script for Nightmare on Elm Street. The character of Freddy came sort of from his childhood. One being he uh, was bullied in school by a guy named Freddy. And also, when he was a kid, he was looking out his bedroom window and he saw an old man in a trench coat and fedora hat look up at him. And oh, it, really? It, yeah, it really it, it scared the shit out of him. And so he ducked under the window and he kind of, you know, counted one Mississippi, two Mississippi, you know, to, you know, 30 Mississippi. And looks back up at the window, and there was the same man, you know, looking up at uh, Wes Craven to scare him again. And I think Freddy was maybe created sort of out of that that joy, that glee of, of frightening a, a young child. Um, possibly, I don't know. Man, that guy knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, take inspiration in dark uh, figures that lurk in, in uh, alleyways at night. He's got similarities to like Stephen King and his storytelling, bringing it back home. You know, Elm Street, it's a street that everyone lives on. Was Wes going to make this was it like i wrote this script i've got this company that's gonna take it and let's just do it or did he have to shop around a little bit i mean no one wanted this uh to produce the movie in hollywood uh most studios felt that since freddie was in a dream it wasn't going to be scary to kids you know 
Um, but New Line Cinema, uh, which was created in 1963 by Bob Shea, took a chance and produced the film, and uh, it basically built the company. New Line Cinema would later go on to produce uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, and it would not have been possible if it wasn't for Freddy Krueger. So you can all thank Freddy for that. That's crazy. I want to go back on Bob Shea for a little bit, because that guy's got uh, an attitude. He can be a little bit of a jerk sometimes, but he was a lawyer, wasn't he? He was a copyright yeah. lawyer? Yeah, he was a copyright lawyer, and he found out that the rights for Reefer Madness were up. So he acquired the rights to that and was distributing the film all over the place. And then Bob Shea would later, uh, the company New Line Cinema would make money off of uh, distributing uh, older John Waters pictures like Pink Flamingos or Female Trouble. That's incredible, going from distributing Pink Flamingos to creating the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it's even crazier to think that the link that connects New Line Cinema's success is the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Is there anything that Freddy Krueger can't do? Yeah, they call New Line Cinema the house that Freddy built. Let's talk about Robert England. But he wasn't the first choice for Freddy, right? No, 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 no. Uh, David Warren was actually going to star as Freddy Krueger, and most people will know David Warren as sort of the main villain besides Billy Zane in Titanic. Um, he was also the main villain in Time Bandits, and he was in both Star Trek V and Star Trek VI playing two different characters, so a really talented actor. But there were scheduling conflicts, and they ended up with Robert England, who really embodied the character. Yeah, Robert um, went in a totally di- different direction than uh, other slasher films at the time. Um, most of the slasher genre was sort of filled with uh, mute, faceless killers, and Robert was definitely not that. Oh, no, not at all. And that's what's so great about like the character of Freddy Krueger as a whole. And then to have an actor that understands this and feels comfortable as Robert England feels and takes liberties with the script really adds like to the liveliness of the story and you can see he was having fun with it yeah I mean Robert does have fun with it just the glee of scaring uh, children I mean that's Robert I mean he made that role Um, no one else could have done that not even Jackie Earl Haley no not at all and we'll even see in uh, uh, Freddy's Revenge that They had to have Robert, but I don't want to touch on that too much. We'll get to that next episode. Now, we talked about Robert. We talked about Freddie. Let's see the other side, Heather Langenkamp. Um, She played Nancy, the hero of the story. Yeah, she plays Nancy Thompson, and uh, Heather Langenkamp is probably one of my favorite actresses of all time. What she brought to the Nightmare on Elm Street series was just sort of this really believable, genuine Midwestern girl next door who um, was very strong and just bold and could take on Freddy. I mean, she was really cool, and then if Freddy came after you, she could kick the shit out of him. Yeah, and especially having a strong woman as the lead character in a 1984 slasher film. It kind of turned the whole genre and series on its ass because people weren't used to it being portrayed in this way. And although there had been other slashers with women in the lead roles, this one kind of stands out as the most powerful. Yeah, uh, Heather was not sort of the heroine that was going to trip and fall down all the time and scream. She uh, takes matters into her own hands and uh, is not going to get her ass kicked. 
No, and I love that for it. Um, and her dad, <laughs> played by John Saxon, <laughs> was definitely not going to get his ass kicked, even though he probably should have. Yeah, John Saxon is the man. Um, in the 1980s uh, horror, f- a lot of 1980s horror films had character actors from the 1950s that sort of were past their prime. And fortunately for, for those horror films, they had some dynamite actors in those films. And in Nightmare on Elm Street, it was John Saxon. I mean, he's amazing. Probably most people will know him from Enter the Dragon. Uh, he was the dude from America that joined the tournament. And then he was also in Black Christmas, right? Uh, he plays a character by the name of Lieutenant Fuller in Black Christmas, and I swear it's the same character in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I uh, have a conspiracy theory that uh, Lieutenant Fuller and Lieutenant Thompson are the same person, tracking down two of cinema's finest slasher villains. And when talking about finest villains... <laughs> This is Johnny Depp's first film. Pop quiz, see if you can answer it. Johnny Depp was actually in two movies in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. He was in number one. What other film does he do a cameo in? Does he do it in New Nightmare? You're so close. It's actually uh, Freddy's Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 6. We've gone through some of the actors, we've gone through the characters, we've gone through the synopsis of it, and I really think we need to take some time to talk about the ending of A Nightmare on Elm Street, because Wes Craven wanted this to be a one-and-done film. He wanted A Nightmare on Elm Street to be just a solid, book-ended, great story about this crazy guy named Freddy who's haunting kids in their dreams, but Bob Shea did not want that. A sequel wasn't even in the discussion until the last couple of days of filming. Wes never intended this to be a series. It was just, you're right, it's a standalone film. Uh, Bob started to see the potential in a franchise about halfway through. And Bob had sort of mortgaged his home. Uh, The company was at risk of basically going bankrupt if the film wasn't a success. And so he had a lot riding on the film. The movie was a huge success. It made a bunch of money. But really what that allowed Bob to do was just pay back all of his debts. Um, After Nightmare on Elm Street, New Line Cinema was kind of back to square one. But again, what they walked away with was a potential franchise. So spoiler alert, we're about to discuss the ending scene of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And so if you haven't seen the movie audience members press pause go watch it if you don't really care about things being spoiled then you can keep listening but graham can you walk me through the ending of the movie as it is now and then tell me how it was supposed to be sure absolutely and before we get right to the end scene i did want to mention that freddie's death in number one is my all-time favorite death of the series um so watch nightmare on elm street part one freddie's death is really kind of interesting check it out i've also noticed that it's one that people end up forgetting because they've seen so many other like explosions or you know satan coming out and all of these sort of things so it was just kind of interesting to see that the strongest death is not always the most memorable. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Rob. I mean, basically, Freddy has his power taken away from by Nancy, uh, sort of the, the fear 
uh, that empowers him is taken away. So Freddy's death in A Nightmare on Elm Street uh, sort of makes the most sense of of the entire series. And so it's kind of odd that after that was filmed, Bob still wanted to make this a, uh, a series instead of a standalone film. So let's contrast the ending scene of the movie as it is presented today with Wes Craven's vision for the ending of the film. So Nancy wakes up and take it from there. At the ending of the film, it's almost as if uh, Nancy has awoken from a dream and that Freddy Krueger never existed. All of the kids that died in the film previous are now alive. And they all get into a car. The car becomes possessed by Freddy Krueger. And it drives off as the camera pans over to a group of children jump roping while singing a nursery rhyme that goes, One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock the door. Five, six, grab your crucifix. Seven, eight, better stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. And then, of course, Nancy's mom gets uh, yanked through a very small window of her front door by Freddy's claw. So what you're saying is continuity wasn't necessarily there. At the end of the film, Bob Shea wanted the audience to feel like they'd been on a roller coaster ride, to leave the theater and go into the lobby with such excitement and such a thrill. So he felt like the, the, the movie needed to end with a big scare, where Wes Craven envisioned the film ending sort of eerily and kind of with an uncomfortable calm. And I think it was Robert England that said it best that the whole movie is a premonition of Nancy's in her dream and then she wakes up and her dream has come true. Yes. Now, A Nightmare on Elm Street was obviously a hit. People loved it. People wanted more. But let me ask you this, Graham. What makes it stand out? Honestly, I think it's that the audience for the Nightmare on Elm Street films that are generally teenagers identify with the teenagers in the Nightmare on Elm Street films more than, let's say, a Friday the 13th or a Halloween film. Um, we're dealing with issues of kind of uh, teen angst and also sort of the aspect of parents not listening to their teenagers, uh, that kind of thing. It's terrifying, and it's also identifiable, and I think those two things really work with uh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street and pretty much the rest of the series. So let me ask you a question, Graham. What's your favorite death in the movie? Uh, my favorite death in A Nightmare on Elm Street uh, would be the death of Tina, and Tina's death utilizes a 360-degree rotating set, sort of similar to what we see in Christopher Nolan's Inception. And it allows the actors to walk on the ceilings and walls. And in this particular scene with Tina, she is dragged uh, all over the room by Freddy Krueger. Now, that's the same set they use for Johnny Depp's death, where they just flip it upside down and all the blood pours out of the bed, which then electrocuted a lot of the uh, crew members, I believe. Yeah, I don't think it was the, the crew's favorite set, but it was definitely the audience's favorite set. Well, and then they sold that set to the people who made Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, and Breakin' 2 is just as good as Breakin' 1. Um, if you haven't seen either, check them out. But if you've only seen the first one, check out the second one because it is just as good. Okay, great. So next, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, where all the rules are broken. Oh, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be a blast.
Thanks for joining us for episode one. If you have any questions or would like us to join your network, please email us at pumpkinspicepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to be even more help, check out our Patreon page. We've got a slew of rewards, and we just want to keep these episodes coming.